Lynn Bauman, 75-year-old grandmother, inspiring woman. She uh, wrote this cookbook on, uh, you know, just real food. Uh, brownies for breakfast, it's called. Uh, just an absolute delight talking to her. She's she's full of energy. She's full of snark. Uh, she's had quite quite a history, but just the relationship that um, you know the American public has a serious issue with, with obesity and being overweight. The relationship with food is is at odds. Uh, but just to have real food, it only takes a few minutes to cook something, some things. She's got a great book on that. Just simply cook. How to bring ingredients together, make some soup in the beginning of the week for the rest of the week. You know that relationship with food needs to change in our country. Um, we talk about some other countries and how it works there, but it's just a great conversation on relationship with food. Uh, you know, vegetables. Uh, she does. Uh, she eats fish, but uh, we did talk about intermittent fasting as well. Uh, a great tip on on youth on. You know, if your kids won't eat vegetables, what do you do about it? I'll just give you a quick tip. Maybe make them cook it with you. Maybe make them grow it. But just a great, ins great insight on uh, on the relationship of food uh, and um, how just simple cooking can just cure so many things with health. You know, get you healthy again. Great conversation, Lynn Bowman. I know you're going to enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them? Hopefully it all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society. Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. Lynn, so nice to meet you. Uh, what does it take? What does it take to, to be a great chef? Tell me. Okay. And the question of, you know, what makes you and chef is a funny mm. word. Chef is this thing now that we're tossing around and, and all kinds of people are going to school to become chefs. Um, and that's definitely not me. Uh, my relationship with food is over a kitchen yeah. table uh, with friends. Um, it's not professional. And this book that I did, I did for friends, you know, for, for the people who said, how do you do this? Um, and so I'm explaining how I do it. And it's actually my kids who said, you know, you got to write this stuff hmm. down. You, you need to write this stuff down. Um, so I, I did it for my granddaughter. Um, but it seems like maybe there is a need in the world for us grandmas to be out there talking about what is mm. food, you know, what, what are y'all doing to yourselves and, and what are you thinking is food and what really is food and how do we actually nourish each other? And I, I love that your, your theme is discipline because I didn't even think of kitchen discipline hmm. you know, or, or, or this being a, a discipline, but it is kind of, isn't it? Um, the discipline of not putting crap mm. in your body, 
is huge. Uh, and there are not that many of us right now yet, but I have high hopes who are practicing that discipline of being very careful to not put crap in our bodies, to nourish ourselves. So yeah, discipline. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, and it's like nutrition is kind of a bad word, like discipline. It's like, Oh God, <laughs> right? it's, it's, <clears throat> it's kind of indicative of <clears throat> someone going to punish us if we don't do something right. Um, not so. I couldn't agree more. I get a lot of pushback when I talk about discipline and I hear people say, you know, we need love and compassion and, uh, you know, and, and to that I say, well, don't you need a certain amount of discipline even to have that? And the discipline of putting actual food in your mouth, Lynn, I mean, we have an issue. We have a pandemic, whatever you want to call it. I mean, 75% of, of Americans are either obese or overweight. You, you know, you talk, I, we talked just briefly before your granola in your, in your brownies for breakfast cookbook, which is excellent. You know, the, 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 the way you explain you. it is that you went to look for granola and there's sugar in everything. I mean, there's sugar in everything. <laughs> everything. Ketchup is like 80% sugar. There's so much sugar in the, the American public is addicted to sugar and you know staying on the outside of the uh, of the supermarket you know the, there's that saying when you go on the inside everything's <laughs> processed and it's got sugar in it it's so it's so huge so for you to make a cookbook that brings it back and talks about actual foods and you have great videos where you go through your closet and you're talking about the food that you have it's really really cool and inspiring thank you and i did it for oh. you <laughs> I, you know, I, it, it's such a simple thing, Joe, eat yeah. food, mostly plants, not too much. And right there, you have the prescription, if you will, for something like 85% of the disease in our, at least adult population now is chronic disease. That's mm. preventable. I mean, that's huge. Think about those numbers. What would happen if we ripped 85% of the people in this country out of hospitals, out of, of prescriptions, out of um, the drugstore, and, and have them instead just eating wonderful food? What, what does that look like? You know, we, can't, we even can't imagine what a really healthy populace looks like. And if you, if you go and sit in a bus station or a train station or, <coughs> excuse me, an airport, almost anywhere in this country, except maybe LA, where everyone's like right. from another planet. Um, and I can have fun with that because I was born there <laughs> <laughs> in Hollywood. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I'm coughing. <laughs> I'm choking on my own cookie. <coughs> That's got to be um, sort of. There. Yeah. Somehow, oh, that's emblematic of something, and I don't know what. But if you go almost anywhere in the country and you look at people on the street, you know what the problem is. It's, it's becoming not just overweight, it's obesity, a huge problem with it. And these are not people who are making a choice to be obese because they want to be obese. It's people who don't know how mm. not to be. Um, for the most part. And it, it, it wouldn't be a problem to just be overweight unless that carries with it all kinds of health implications. And of course it does. And this isn't news to anyone, but um, heart disease and diabetes are very tightly connected to obesity and um, carrying around too much weight. And I'm not here to talk about all the cellular structure of all that. I'm just here to talk about uh, the discipline of taking care of yourself as best you can with, in my case, cookies and pie and donuts and all this great stuff that you can eat if you just make it yourself. The discipline is somebody has to go in the kitchen and make something. Somebody has to cook a bit. It, it's not, it, it doesn't have to be complicated or you don't have to go to school to learn how to be a chef in your own kitchen. 
the recipes in my book and perhaps others, and I'm, I'm not an expert on what's out there, but um, mine I wrote specifically so that an eight-year-old would be just fine doing it or an 85-year-old who'd never mm. cooked before would be just fine doing it. It's simple. It's forgiving. And it's the way we could all be making our own food if we had the discipline to just go, okay, I'm going to do this because it's smart to not be sick, which why am I having to explain that to people that it's really smart to not be unhealthy? Would you explain that to me? Absolutely. Why don't we why get don't we, that? Yes. What, what can we do? The relationship, I mean, you, you said you had a very interesting point there where you said that they don't wish to be obese. But I mean, so the common thing that I would hear is, well, I'm so busy. I have a couple jobs. It's just easier for me to get McDonald's for me and the kids. Uh, it's an expensive, it's available. Okay. To that you say? I present myself as living proof, as you know, if you've yes. read the book. I had three kids, single mom, had a crazy homicidal ex chase me across the country I had all the problems that any young family can have, plus some. Um, I had no support except myself for my three children. I did it. You can do this. Um, the only difference was I really got that if I wasn't on my feet and healthy and strong, my kids were going to mm. pay a price. They were going to suffer. We could all literally die if I wasn't able to physically deal with the problems that we had and, and work continually and make good money. So I got it kind of early in my life that it was literally life or death. It was, you know, I needed to be on top of it. I found out fairly early in my life, my early forties, that I was a type two diabetic. So I figured out that I was gonna have to deal with that. I was gonna have to manage it. And there wasn't a lot of help out there, which is also a lot of why I wrote this book. No one wrote the book for mm -hmm. me. Nobody told me how to do this. I figured it out because I had to figure it out. Um, and now I want y'all to know. I want everybody to know how to do it. You can't do it eating out of a bag. You can't. Uh, you can't do it with DoorDash. You can't do it eating in restaurants. Because the more you know about food and science and nutrition and all that, the more you understand that restaurants make their money making that food irresistible and gooey and yummy and, oh my gosh, we have to go back. And how do you do that? You do it with a lot of butter and a lot of salt and a lot of processed flour. You know, who doesn't love a croissant? But you can't eat just one in this country anyway. Um, and there's a whole discussion here to be had about the food industry. You may have had somebody on mm -hmm. already about, uh, big food and, and the craveability science, the, the guys who, who spend their whole lives engineering food so that you can't eat just one. And the fact that, that sugar is absolutely addictive, uh, and, and processed flour might as well be sugar as far as your body is concerned. So there's all of that, but what do you do about it? What's the answer? Well, hmm. discipline, right? Uh, a um, little bit of discipline to get your butt in the kitchen. Yeah, really good point. That will also pay off, I think. I mean, Joe, there are, there are two generations of kids now growing up who don't know how to use utensils mm. or, or cloth napkins. They've eaten almost every meal out of a bag since they learned how to eat. Now argue with me. I'd love mm. that, but I don't think you're gonna, I mean, this is reality. Um, tons of people out there, not everyone, but a whole lot of people who never, sit down with their family around a table and eat a meal, maybe in a restaurant. 
And in that case, everybody's eating different stuff. And some of it is out of a bag and some of it's with no utensils. And one of the things that I talk about a lot in the book and always when I have the pleasure of meeting someone like you is the joy of table culture and how you are so missing out as a family, as parents, and you're cheating your children if you're driving crazily around town and dropping them off at piano lessons and baseball and all these things, but they don't know how to sit at a table and eat and talk. I mean, it don't, did you ever think about that being a skill that your kids would really need as adults? Uh, and I'm being a little snarky and you were warned, you know I'm snarky. But to me, to hell with the baseball, unless the kid's, you know, some kind of hmm. genius or the Mandarin or the martial arts or whatever, pick maybe one thing, but teach them what they need to do at a table when they are sitting with their professors or their employer or their new friends um, at college. They need to know how to manage a cloth napkin, how to manage their implements, how to start a conversation at the table with someone that they don't know or don't know well. And it's interesting, isn't it, how food and conversation are so intertwined and how food and culture are so intertwined. So you can't ever talk about food and have it be just food. It's not ever just food. You know, there, there are all, all kinds of nutrition that you get from sitting at a table with people, talking to them. And then another thing about parents is I get questions, as you can expect, like, how do you get your kid to eat vegetables? And the answer there, if you didn't know, do you know what the answer is, Joe? Well, I, it's easy. I didn't really give my kids a choice and we just had vegetables and they liked them. Okay. That works mm. for some people. But my prescription is a kid will always eat what they grow ah. and what they cook. They're very interesting. So if you're having difficulties in this area, I highly recommend a little garden, a little pots on the sink. You know, there are lots of ways to do it, but if your child is older than three, um, they can start planting stuff hmm. and understanding how food grows and why we care how food grows. And then how the food that you grow tastes way better than the food that you buy. And, and then, even if you don't have the growing thing happening, you could start right now with that kid cooking because when they cook it, they want to eat it. And then I'll go further than that and say that that kid should be cleaning mm. up the mess, right? <laughs> and clearing the table and setting the table. That's all part of, of nourishing ourselves. You know, you parents, you're not your kids' servants. You're their mm -hmm. teachers. Yeah, my father was in a... How my, old are you my, kids? Both of my daughters are in college, actually. So they're both, uh, yeah, 18 to 21. My father's an Italian immigrant. And I spent a lot of time over there. And, of course, they treat food and just the dinner table very differently. It's, uh, you know, there's bread and there's wine at every meal signifying, you know, of course, Christ's body and, and blood, but, but still everybody sits around the table and it's a quiet time and they eat and they talk and they debate and they, uh, but it's, it's very different. They're looking at each other. Absolutely. They're looking at each other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there you are, you're um, official Italian, which puts you in a whole different uh, category as far as I'm concerned. And one of the things that your family knows that, you know, that I talk about a lot in this country is that you should do your big eating in the middle mm. of the day. 
you don't starve yourself all day and then be stuffing pizza in at 11 o'clock at night. There is an enormous amount of science out there around it and some ancient science as well, Ayurveda. Lots of these older cultures talk about the value of eating when the sun is high because your digestion is also high Mm. and busy and that's when it wants to eat. And then you want to leave at least three, maybe four or five hours between your last bite of food and sleep. Because here's, I'm going to try one of my new favorite words on you. I love this word, (laughs) wonderful word, autophagy. Isn't that great? That's the process that your brain and other cells go through to cleanse themselves. And it has to do with the circadian rhythm when they will do this. And when your brain is really active doing this is when you're in deep sleep, when you're sleeping at night. And it's important and I, in the picture for me that, <coughs> excuse me, we should keep in our minds is it's just like the freeway, like a 405. It's in the middle of the night when the crew comes out because the traffic is down and they scrub the street and they get the stuff off and they fix it all up. And so if you're throwing that pizza down at 11 o'clock watching some <coughs> horrible thing, <coughs> excuse me, um, awful thing on TV, this autophagy cannot properly take mm. place. So you, a lot of people are talking about um, intermittent fasting, which is, you know, a sort of fancy way of saying we don't have to eat three meals That's a day. Right. There's no law that says that you need to be eating all day and into the night. You know, you could skip a meal. It'd be fine. And the, the people who talk about um, paleo, for example, you know, if you really think about how our ancient ancestors did things and ate, they didn't eat three meals a day, right? There were a lot of days when they didn't Mm. eat anything um, because they had to find it, in some cases, chase it down. Um, But also there was a lot of foraging that that went on and that's the bulk of what people actually ate. Um, So no, you didn't eat three or four meals a day. You didn't snack particularly, you ate when you had food and you didn't eat when you didn't have food. So our bodies are not that far away. They're not evolved that, that far from those folks who went around foraging for um, their dinner. So that, and that's been kind of new information for me because it used to be that they told diabetics, type two diabetics, that you needed to eat frequent small meals. Mm. Um, they said a lot of things actually about diabetes and, and I spent a lot of my adult life eating mostly meat and vegetables. And that's not what I do anymore. Um, so I'm kind of spreading the word about that too. Are you a meat I eater? Am. I Jeff? am. I try to eat more vegetables than meat. You know, um, go, going back to kind of table discussion, we talked about Italy uh, last time I was there, my, to show you how the importance it is there, the tradition is just very different. My uncle's wife, my aunt, had passed away, oh, about 20 years ago. But whenever he ate or whenever we were there, he would still always set up a placemat and a, a fork and a spoon where she used to sit because it just reminded him yeah. of, uh, of what it was. And just, just the general relationship yeah. to food. Like I, I brought my friends last time and I remember specifically my uncle getting eggs out of the cupboard, now out of the refrigerator. And my friend's like, what are they doing? There's gonna be chicks in there. I said, well, no, these eggs were just hatched. They don't need to be refrigerated. <laughs> They're not months old like we have here. Yeah. You know, so they, they really invented the kind of farm to table. Right? I mean, there's not much in between. Right. Uh, so the relationship with food is very, very different. It is. And, and I've, I've spent less time in Italy than I have in France. I lived in France for a mm. while. And uh, it's very yeah. similar in many ways. I mean, the French are, are notoriously a little bit weird and snobby about their food um, at, at, by American standards. Um, they should be. It's delicious. But yeah, the eggs. 
Yeah, and it sh the eggs shouldn't be washed. It, there's a recipe in my book called French's Hell Cassoulet, um, because when I was living in France, that was a lot. I ate a lot of beans. I ate street food. I didn't have any money. I was a student. So, um, yeah, I'm a fan of the kind of Italian and French grandma food. It's a lot of what my book really is. One of the, the soup recipes, it's called Genius Soup in the book, but it's the basic soup that every Italian or French grandma has always made. You know, it's some combination of, of onions, celery, carrots, chopped fine, little olive oil, and some broth. And then you take, you clean out your fridge. You take all those greens that are kind of wilty and the vegetables that, you know, and it goes in the soup. And you make this great big pot of soup, not a thing Americans are accustomed mm -hmm. to doing, but you make this great big pot of soup that, and you season it up and it's great on its own. I, because there are only two of us at home now, I, I freeze a bunch of it. So then you, you can whip this jar out of the freezer and you're 10, 15 minutes away from having dinner that's fabulous mm. or a half hour away from having cassoulet, not hard. Uh, because you've made this grandma soup that's the base for all kinds of things. You can make pasta out of it. You know, you can throw, you can turn it into a tortilla soup um, easily. All kinds of wonderful things that you, but you have to get into the kitchen and chop the stuff and make that soup once a week or once every couple of weeks. Uh, but that's, that's how food has been done. For a long time. Um, we just, in the 50s, something kind of went off the rails in, in the United States and um, something called big mm. food. And uh, moms were thrilled to find that there were canned soups right. that we could eat and boxed soups that we could eat. And we're paying the price for that now. Yeah, um, full of sodium. You know, we've liberated women from the kitchen um, and, uh, and I'm suggesting that maybe we all need to hold hands and get back in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Somebody needs to be in the kitchen doing something or you're not going to be that healthy. You need to cook. Yeah, absolutely. In, in Southern Italy, where my father's from, they, they didn't, since it was so warm, they didn't do a lot of soup, but what they would do is they, there's ovens everywhere. And so they would, and they'd make bread every day, natural bread, all natural, but they would get yesterday's right. leftovers. Real bread. Yeah, real bread. <laughs> they'd get le yesterday's leftovers and put it on some bread and bake it. So that was, they called it a pizza. And that was, that's what they would have for the next day uh, for lunch or for late breakfast. So yeah, very little, very little went, went to waste. Uh, and it was a, a good way of, uh, of managing that. You were talking, are you a vegetarian? You know, now, and I've, I've tried, I was vegan for a while. I did a test and it's fascinating what happens to you when you do that. Uh, and, uh, I'm, I, I like to encourage people in that. And there are a lot the recipes in my book are basically vegan yeah. recipes. If you want them to be, there's, you know, ways to do it, but most vegans are eating way too much sugar and flour and so on. You, you just being vegan does not make you right. healthy at all. And vegetarian, same thing. Uh, it's what you need to do is, uh, and what I'm doing right now, I'm a pescatarian, but that just simply means that, yes, I do eat fish, fresh caught fish, not farmed fish, but I live at the coast, so we get beautiful fish pulled right out of the water, some shrimp, I'll eat that. Um, but the, the rest of my food is basically vegan, uh, but I don't eat sugar. I don't eat dairy. I don't eat processed flour or grains if I can possibly help it. I cheat in that area a little bit uh, because we have some local growers who grow real wheat, for example, old timey heritage wheat wow. that is a different product, a different plant altogether than the wheat that's grown by the billions of acres 
in the Midwest that goes into the cereals and things that you're eating in a box. So I, I just, I want everyone to be conscious of where their food comes from, no matter what it is. Um, so no, I'm not vegetarian and I'm not vegan, but um, I try and steal the best from both of those ideas. And I do eat some fish. Um, and here I am. Hmm. So after I started my business in the nineties, I, you know, I started working too much. I was, I didn't pay attention to myself. I blew up to 340 pounds. I know this. Oh yeah. my gosh. And, uh, the doctor said to me, you know, do you want to see your daughter graduate? My daughter was born and, you know, so that was my come to Jesus moment. So, you know, I lost a lot of weight. I just, people ask me how I do it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I say discipline, you know, I just focused and did it. But often I see pictures of myself then and I think to myself, and I look at my buddies and I say, why did you let me get, you know, why did you say something to me? You know, why did you, know, and you know, I, I'm tongue in cheek, you know, but what do we do with our friends that are overweight? How do you approach the subject with love and with care and compassion? And because it's such a delicate, very delicate topic, Linda. It is the most yes. delicate topic. It's really difficult. It is absolutely difficult. And Joe, I don't know mm. how to do it, except always to ask, mm. how are you doing? How do you feel? How are you? And if they want to talk about it, you're there for them. And if they don't want to talk about it, I don't know what you do. I really don't know what you do because you know, there's so much information out there now for anyone who has a weight problem or some other kind of eating issue. There's a ton of it. A lot mm. of it's bad, of course, but um, it's it's really hard. One of the the things that I talk about in my book is that weight loss really comes permanent, non-painful weight loss comes when you nourish yourself, hmm. when you begin to eat good whole food, you will lose weight and you don't, I don't measure anything. I've, you know, in the last couple of years, since I have stopped eating meat completely, red meat, pork, all that chicken, everything, I've lost, I don't know, 20 pounds with, and I was okay before, but if you're diabetic, the skinnier you are, the better your numbers right. typically are. <clears throat> and I'm a girl. I like to be skinny. I, you know, I, I like the whole dressing up thing and, you know, wearing this. I, I'll admit that. But the weight came off not because I was dieting. It came off because I was eating really well. I was eating thoughtfully. I was eating as much as I wanted of the good food that I was eating. I stopped eating meat completely. I stopped eating dairy completely. I had already, I hadn't eaten sugar in a long time, but boy, I became even more disciplined about absolutely no sugar crossing my lips. Hmm. So when you do those things, what happens is your body chemistry actually changes and your saliva changes and you are no longer able to overeat particularly because of what you're eating when, and I'll, I'll make a shameless plug here. If you bake my brownies and you eat a couple of those brownies, which are very nutritious food, they're good food. That's about all mm. you can eat. It's tough to eat more than that. I have have you not. made them? It's tough to eat more than that because it's nutrient mm. dense. And mm. when you eat nutrient dense food, your body goes, okay, good. We're fed. We're done. <clears throat> those mechanisms, those built-in things that keep you from overeating are triggered by nutrition, by actual food. If you're eating engineered food that was engineered to keep you eating, you truly can't right. stop at just one. You can't put the bag down. You will finish it. Pizza is the most addictive prepared food there is. 
And there's data around this. I'm not making this up. Uh, and we've got a whole country that is surviving on pizza, drive-through burgers, right, and Doritos. And so if you eliminate the non-nourishing foods from your diet and you discipline yourself to eating as much as you want, but good food only, only good food, the weight will drop off. If you, if you stop eating, and I don't, by the way, um, expect everyone to go vegan, but what I hope for you, what I want everyone to do is if you are eating meat, make sure you know who that meat is, where that meat grew up, what that meat ate, and because you're eating mm. what they ate. So not only do you want the little grass-fed sign on your meat, but you need meat that is truly pasture-raised. And that means you need to know what farm. You need to know where literally geographically it comes from. And when you are eating pasture-raised beef, let's say, it's a completely different product than the cellophane-wrapped stuff that you get at the Safeway that, you, that is factory-farmed. The, the fat level and, and the nutrition profile of the beef or the game, if you're eating elk, you know, or a moose. Um, my father-in-law used to bring a moose home every year. Uh, I don't recommend that, but uh, the moose jerky was actually pretty good. But that game is completely different animal in every way than the uh, steak or chops that you're getting that are factory farmed. And so I, I won't suggest to everybody to totally quit meat if you're willing to be disciplined to make sure that the meat that you are eating is mm. good food. You can do that. And yes, it's a little pricey because I think it's time we paid the real price for what that food is. Um, you are now not really paying the price for the pollution that comes out of factory farms. And, and I think we all need to think about that. Um, food isn't just food. It's, it's part of a system. And um, so if you're going to eat meat, make sure it's, it's the right kind of meat. I am an egg fan. Um, I do incorporate eggs in my diet. And I don't think that the chickens are upset about that or harmed in any way. Well, I, I'm being a little snarky, but uh, I'm an animal lover mm. too, big time. Uh, but I know these hens. They're my neighbor's girls. Mm. And I've held them in my arms. I know their names. And I know that they are eating good food. They're eating bugs and slugs and grass and that they're cared for well and that they are not diseased. And that, that those eggs are a gorgeous, deep mm. color. Your Italian mm. grandma would love these eggs. She understands, understood these eggs. Um, and you can raise the chickens yourself if you have a little little place and you don't live in certain zip codes. Um, but make sure if you're eating eggs, make sure they're really, really good food, good eggs. And, and then enjoy them. Um, and I think you'll find, you know, and another thing people talk about deprivation when, 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 whenever you bring up weight loss, the mm. assumption is that you're going to be deprived of all these things. And in my experience, what happens is when you really get serious about eating good food and not eating bad food, it's this Disneyland of new flavors and new textures and new colors. Food is so much more interesting when it's not the sad American diet, the standard American diet, they call it. You know, you've, most of us were eating brown and beige all mm. the time. And when you eliminate the fast food and the junky food, all of a sudden you're, you're going, oh, wait, you know, asparagus is really kind of interesting and good. Um, one of my favorites in the book uh, is um, 
you know, I call it celery in drag. Do you know what I'm talking no. about? No. I'll let you guess. Um, uh, there are so, it's pink, I see. by the way. Um, there are so many wonderful foods literally growing out there free. Blackberries. I mean, you, it, at the time of year when the blackberries are getting ripe, you can walk all over my place and they're everywhere. Yeah. They're native. They are like weeds and they're all along the highways. They're in the forest. They're all over the place. They might be in your yard. It's good food and it's virtually free and it's a beautiful color. Actually, blackberries are maybe if you had to rank foods on a kind of one to 100 scale of what are the most amazing, healthy, healthful foods in the world, blackberries uh, are highly preventive for certain diseases. They're great for your gut biome. They're full of fiber. They're all these, and they're delicious. Mm. They're so good. So those are the foods that you're missing by eating crap. When you're filling up with, with badly sourced French fries and mystery meat and bread that your grandmas would be embarrassed by, um, you're missing the good stuff. And the good stuff is what nourishes you and keeps you from eating too much because you can't. Your body just wants to be nourished. So there, and you know, with, with weight issues, there are a lot of emotional right. issues and psychological issues. We, I think we're all aware of that. And I don't want to make slight of those things. Um, but you have to kind of start with the biology, I think, and uh, give yourself a break and start eating the good stuff. Uh, it, you're changing your relationship with food is what you're doing. It becomes a good thing and not the enemy. You know, food is your friend and um, I love food. And so my recipes are, you know, for cookies and cakes and pies. I love sweets, but they're all sweetened with monk fruit or hickory, excuse me, not hickory, chicory root or um, there's some other good now non-caloric sweeteners that are fairly new. The, the last 10, 15 years have, have brought some good developments in uh, sweeteners. I don't like stevia particularly, and I don't recommend it, but there's some good things out there that I would want people to explore. So you can make all these amazing recipes with no sugar and no flour. Uh, my brownies are made of pumpkin and nut butter and um, monk fruit sweetener and cocoa and a couple of other things some eggs or egg substitute. You mix it all up in a bowl, put it in a pan and bake it. It's not hard. Uh, and it's really, really good. And it's sugar-free and gluten-free. That's a whole other mm. thing, Joe, right? That, that people, no one was talking about gluten-free 10, 15 years ago. <clears throat> and now it's become a thing because so many people are discovering that they react badly to particularly the processed flours. Um, but you can eat beautifully without gluten. You don't need it. It's fine. You just, you need to not drive through is the mm. thing. But until we get to a point, Lynn, when we can, I, I, I don't know why it wasn't stressed. Well, perhaps I know why, you know why, but why wasn't it stressed more during the pandemic for us to get healthier, you know, to eat real food? We would have handled this. There would have been less deaths. There would have, you know, the government did not say, get out and walk. You can wear your mask if you want, but get out and walk or start, start eating some real vegetables. You know, everything that you just talked about now, the, the discipline of, of, of 
creating a better relationship with food. You don't have to cook for hours mm. and hours to have a good meal. You know, you could prepare on Sunday to get your soup yeah. ready that you outlined. You can still just bake off some vegetables. And if it's meat, a small amount of meat, when you cook home, you tend to eat healthier. But until we can have politicians and leaders and friends be able to have conversations with those that need it in a graceful way, I mean, that's the big barrier here. We, we need the discipline to be able to say it and to be able to listen to it. And we need to be grown up and understand what is going on in Washington, what's going on in, in my case, Sacramento, um, and the people who have influence largely are well-funded lobbyists mm. in many cases who are being funded by big food, big pharma, um, and other uh interest groups, and it is your government that did the food pyramid that we now can make fun yes. of that was not a healthy thing. Um, and the same people who would say, you know, we have a corrupt government and it's everything, we'll come back and say, well, why didn't they tell us? It? You know, come on. Um, here's, I'm a grandma. You've got a grandma. There are lots of grandmas yeah. out there. Listen to a grandma. Mm, take ownership. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. You yeah. don't need some senator yeah. to tell you what's healthy and what's mm. not. You have tools now. And the, of course, the internet, with all of its kind of crazy evil stuff, is a brilliant tool for information about how to eat and what to eat and who's doing what and who's doing it right. Um, I can give you a couple of recommendations uh, for things to read and, and uh, for things to follow. But if all you know is eat real food, do you need a senator to explain to you what hmm. that means? Or does your intuition say, you know, this old bag is all right. She's making some sense. Um, real food, that's probably a good idea. And I, you know, once you yourself start thinking about, okay, what, what is real food? Am I eating real food? You'll have some answers there, I think, on your own. You know, do we really need the government to explain to us what's wrong with big food? You know, it, 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 this is a problem we all own, um, and of course, it's always about the money. You know, small farmers have not made money. Big farmers who reduce the cost of the, you know, and, and maximize, and they're the ones making the money. But if you go and shop at the farmer's markets and shop at, then I'm a Trader Joe fan and have been since the 60s. Um, they were a place I could go and get inexpensive but healthy food. Um, and, and they're still pretty good in many ways. And there's some other good markets and there's some online markets that will deliver pretty darn good food to you if you look them up. But you first have to have the discipline to understand that it's up to you to eat. And I'm not going to use bad words here. I would, if you were across the table, my kitchen table, this isn't my kitchen table, by the way, but if we were at the kitchen table, I would say, eat real food. Mm learn what real food is if you don't already know and find that and eat mm. it and it is mostly plants as michael pollan has famously said mostly plants and you don't want to eat too much but i'm telling you you can't if you're eating real food mostly plants it is pretty hard to stuff yourself on mm. spinach right and you won't you can't and, and yet I, you, you can make spinach so good, you will think, oh my God. Okay, and I have a confession to make. Here's a story. Um, I think I actually put it in the book because I love this story about an attorney that I had used uh, for some legal services. And he took the book and, and he made the mushroom soup uh, in the book, which is very simple. I mean, very simple. It's mushrooms. It's onions, 
it's a little bit of olive oil um, and it's some broth. And then you cook it for an hour. And at the end of that hour, and you, you season it with a little bit of your favorite salt. I like truffle salt. And then you put a little, little bit of whiskey in it at the end. And so this attorney got back to me and said, Lynn, I got to tell you, that's the best soup I ever ate. It's fantastic. It turned out just great. I love it. But you did not warn me. What? You did not warn me. And I ate it all, the whole recipe. Uh, And I didn't feel very good at the end. So consider yourselves all warned that you might not want to eat the whole recipe of mushroom soup or brownies or whatever it is. <clears throat> but, and, and if you do, you'll have a tummy mm. ache because it's too much. But, but this food is not engineered to keep you eating. It's engineered the way that Italian grandma, that French grandma engineers food, which is to warm your tummy up and make you go, wow, that's delicious. So good. It's so beautiful. I like pretty food. Mushroom soup is not mm. the prettiest food in the world, but you can doll it up. You can put some bits of, you can put a little bit of, of for example, um, mm, um, a little bit of vegan cream cheese on top with some green sprinkles or something. There are ways to even doll up brown sure. mushroom soup. And that mushroom soup makes an amazing sauce for mm. other foods. So that's another easy thing to make, stick in the fridge. And... We all expect to come rolling home from work or school and we want to open up the cupboard or open up the fridge and grab something and eat it. So you want to make sure you've got some stuff in there that you can grab Mm. and go to your own kitchen table and eat. That's good for you. Um, Kill a recipe for coleslaw. So simple. It lasts a week or so in the fridge. It gets even better in the fridge. And who doesn't love a good coleslaw? And mine is not sticky sweet. It's not overly dry. It's really, really good. So easy to make. So these are ordinary foods, you know. So And also, it was so hilarious when the pandemic you referred to, and it is still on, Joe, by the way. Um, when the pandemic still hit, when it hit first, and everyone rushed to the grocery store, and then the news was all covered with, oh, the Cupboards are empty, you know, the shelves are being emptied. So if you went to the produce department, trust me, the shelves were mm. not empty. There was plenty of celery there for you. There, you. there were probably even dandelion leaves and collards there for you. All the really exotic, wonderful stuff in the produce department. It was not emptied out. So what does that tell you? Well, obviously, people weren't gravitating towards it. I think so anyway. I missed something. Oh, people weren't. You think so? Yeah, people weren't gravitating to that, right? They weren't going there. They weren't pursuing the fresh vegetables. They weren't pursuing that stuff. No. No, because it needs to be chopped up right. by somebody. It needs to be made into food. It might take you five, ten minutes, and that's right. too much. Because you don't have the discipline. That's right. Right? To do it. Which And how much discipline is that? Not, Not so, so much. much at all. Yeah, people have so many different interpretations of it, of discipline, and just... Just chopping up some celery and onions. You know, I, I, I cook a, a lot. I cook a lot of Italian. I use, you know, San Marzano tomatoes. I use uh, garlic. There's never enough garlic, in my opinion. But still, you know, garlic, onions, <laughs> and, you know, it's just so rewarding to eat your own food, you know, and it's so simple. I It takes about a half hour, and then it just cooks in the, you know, in the slow cooker for a long time there. And um, it's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. Lynn, what motivates you? Uh, Vanity. How's that? How so? I think that's a lot of it. Um, I I always want Mm. to look good. Well, you look great, by the way. You know, may I say? Thank you. But that's that's your grandma would go bella figura, right? (laughs) Very Um, good. Because. 
I think culturally, some of us, I mean, and there are women like myself who go to Italy specifically to sit and watch the men walking around in great looking clothes, pants that fit. Um, It's a beautiful thing. Y'all go to the zoo, you go to the baseball game. I'm going to go to Italy and sit and watch. Um, Fabulous spectator sport. So some of us care. I mean, and famously, France, Paris, they they care about how they look. Um, Americans, boy, and COVID really made it even mm. worse. I mean, and I'll admit, I was also in a, the same hoodie for basically a year. It's a good hoodie. It's a nice hoodie, but um, and stretch pants. But Americans are a mess. Americans look awful for the most part. I'm sorry. Uh, um, I, they, they don't look good. You know, uh, they don't care how they dress. And, and I'll focus on one thing and you'll know what I mean. Most people should not ever wear Bermuda shorts for any reason, ever. Um, and particularly a guy that might weigh three or 400 pounds and has hairy legs and is wearing Bermuda shorts. This is, this is not a thing I want to encourage in anybody. So... Um, and I just, I know I have a thing about Bermuda shirts, but maybe on the golf course. Um, yeah. So vanity, vanity is a big part of it, but also, you know, sort of fear of missing out. I want to keep partying. Mm. I want to be part of my family. I don't want to be the one that people have to push around or bring food to. I want to continue to be strong and upright as long as I can. And I value that so much that I want it for you too. Uh, and anybody who's willing to listen or read the book or follow the recipes, I, I hope it means that you too can dance and sing and be snarky and have fun with your family as long as you want. Um, I, I'm fortunate. I have a husband that I adore. I have animals that I love. I have kids. Well, two out of three anyway, but um, I'm <laughs> really crazy. And the third one, he's okay. coming around. Um, but um, I have two grandchildren. I have a new grandson, four months old. Why wouldn't I want to be able to enjoy that as much as possible? And he's actually one state away. He's in Reno, Nevada. So we are online every morning. We are... Um, videoing every morning, um, uh, baby cam every morning. And so, and so he knows me as this funny picture happening, moving picture happening on a, well, I've been able to be with them some, but that's a cool thing now about, um, uh, the internet and everything. I think who knew, um, that I'd be doing this every day. So that's what motivates me. That's what keeps me disciplined about, what I eat and what I do to take care of myself. And I also, I work out three days a week. Um, I have a wonderful little local gym, wonderful trainer. So I do Pilates and TRX and stuff like that. Um, And if I didn't have her in that gym, I would be doing, and I have a treadmill here. And I, I do like to walk outside, but we're in an area where that's can be tricky. We have lions. (laughs) So, Right. So you just don't want to take off running by yourself up the hill. Um, And I'm sort of kidding, but Mm. I'm really not kidding about that. We actually do have uh, mountain lions um, here, right here on the property. Amazing. Um, And I love them and I want them to be happy. Uh, And they are eating Mm. real food, Mm. by the way. Yeah, they have they've never gone for crappy people food. Um, they're still eating chickens and, um, other critters. Woodland creatures. Sure. 
if I may add just one more thing to the, uh, to the, um, you know, American public, I certainly would like to see less, you know, sweat, sweatpants and pajamas and slippers and at the airports and public like that. That's just my two cents. But, uh, what can, how do you measure success? How do I measure success? Um, that's an interesting, really basic question, isn't it? And to me, Joe, I mean, I'm, I'm old timey, right? I'm 75. So I graduated from high school at a time when I couldn't go to Harvard. It wasn't co-ed, you know, I'm, I'm old enough that I was brought up in a completely different way with different aspirations, different ideas about what it was like to be a woman. And a thing that I still hang on to that is a result of that upbringing, but has, is still true for me. What I wanted most in the world was to mm. be a mom, to have a home and to have kids. And I did it and it was a bumpy ride. It didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen, but um, here we are so many years later. And so I'm happy to say my kids are all in their forties and they're fine. And my grandchildren are fine. And I wear the title grandma with pride. I, to me, what, what could be more successful than that. I'm a grandma. Um, yeah, I've written books and yeah, I've written on Gulf streams and yeah, I've done a lot of cool, interesting things in my life. But, um, for those of you who are doing the hard work of parenting now, um, and maybe you're an auntie or an uncle who is contributing in some really special way and you're your own kind of heroes, I think, I couldn't have done this without the aunties and the uncles. Um, there's just nothing to me more exciting, more wonderful um, than that baby's smile. I mean, uh, that's that's the top right there for me. Uh, and maybe my husband's smile. I'm, I'm really happy he still likes me. At least he says he does. And I think he does. So I can't imagine no one not liking you, uh, Lynn Bowman. Thank you so much. Oh, please. <laughs> I oh, can't imagine. Please. <laughs> I can't imagine it. I have enemies, Joe. Come on. <laughs> Next show, we'll do that, okay? All right. Perhaps some of those mountain lions are enemies, but other than that, I can't imagine anyone. But thank you so no, much. No, for they're friends. Oh, is I that right? Know. They're close. Oh, my goodness. How can we get your book? How can we get in touch with you, Lynn? The easy way is lynnbowman.com. Just be sure it's L-Y-N-N-E. B-O-W-M-A-N.com. It's my website, so everything's listed on that. The book you can get pretty much anywhere you get books. It's on Amazon. But if you would, go to your independent bookseller. Mm. Do this for me. Go to your independent bookseller and ask for Brownies for Breakfast, a cookbook for diabetics and the people who love them, Brownies for Breakfast. And if your independent bookseller says, oh, no, we don't have that, you go, oh, my gosh. You don't, it's blowing up, it's amazing. You gotta get it, at least order me one. And they will order you one from their wholesaler, Ingram Spark, they will do that. And, and maybe you will have made another friend <laughs> for the book. So I hope you will ask. And we love independent booksellers. Mm. So great thing to do, but it's on Amazon and some other outlets if you prefer that online. And it comes in a hardback and a paperback and you can download the book, but you don't want a little bitty book to cook from. You need the big right. hardback. That's the best way to sit up on your sink. And it's a beautiful book, if I do say so myself. Um, I worked with a fabulous designer on it, a dear friend, and we we specifically wanted it to be yummy looking as well as have the food be yummy tasting. So I hope you'll try it. Absolutely. And I can tell you the granola was tremendous. I, I'm not a big granola fan, but I like that. It's just like we talked about briefly, Good. everything, everything in the store is just full of sugar. And it's just nice to have something that's not 
Lynn, Lynn Bowen, a- abs- Bowman, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope one day we get to meet face to face, maybe have Thank a cup of coffee so. with your husband, and myself, my girlfriend. It'll be wonderful up there in Northern California. I really appreciate your time today. I'll put the links in the show notes and uh, you be well. And I hope to hope we get to speak again. Please come by Old Dog Farm for black coffee and donuts, brownies, whatever. I will cook for you, Joe. I I don't know how I can refuse that. Sounds wonderful. Thank you so much, Lynn. You be well. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Penn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? Twenty-five dollars, fifty dollars, hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, thousand dollars, five thousand dollars. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pin's Discipline Conversations.